Okay, so now that Job has rejected the advice of both Bildad and Eliphaz, um, Job has, uh, he's also brought his case directly to God, you know, questioning why God just won't let him rest for the remaining days of his life. The third friend, and of course I'm using the term friend loosely, uh, Zophar is going to chime in here with his advice to Job. Now we've seen Eliphaz and Bildad basically tell Job that you know he must have done something really bad and to elicit this punishment that God has rained down upon him. Um, and if he would just turn from that evil thing, that God would take all this suffering away. Uh, but you know, and, and of course, once again, we need to remember that God Himself said Job was upright and righteous. And now Job has basically rebuked the two friends that have offered him advice so far. Um, they probably are feeling uh, slighted and, and like Job's calling them stupid. Um, so now Zophar is going to chime in and he's going to be quite a bit more aggressive than the first two. He's basically going to tell Job that, that he deserves a whole lot worse suffering than he's experiencing. Um, now, we haven't even looked to see if if this is is true yet. It may be because we know that Job is a sinner, but he has also brought sacrifice to God in faith to cover his sin. But before we even get to all that, can you imagine what Job would be thinking when he receives such advice? Um, it, in order to put it in perspective, let me just... Uh, bring it to a modern day setting. Let's say that that you've lost your entire family. Everyone that you you love has died in, you know, whatever, a freak accident or, you know, a weather anomaly or something happened. And so you're suffering beyond anything that you can imagine and your friend comes along and says, "Well, you really deserve more than what you got. You should be thankful." Um, what do you think you would say to so far? I think uh <laughs> I probably would introduce his rear end to the heel of my boot. Um, now, we know from a biblical worldview that what Zophar is saying is actually true. You know, we deserve the fires of eternal damnation, which is a whole lot worse than going through any earthly suffering we can go through. But Zophar is there to comfort his friend who's suffering. And uh, I, I can promise you, if you go out and... Sp you know, when someone loses a child and the first thing out of your mouth is, well, you really deserve more than that, uh, you're probably going to get hit in the face. Um, so let's look at what Zophar says, and then we'll analyze it from there. Um, in the first four verses of chapter 11, Zophar basically, he's, he's going to repudiate Job's cries, what Job has been saying in the previous chapters. Uh, he, he's basically going to accuse Job of sin. Uh, Job has cried out to God and desires to know why God is has turned against him, you know, all of a sudden after all this time. And Zophar tells him that uh, this in itself is a great sin. Uh, verse 1 says, Then Zophar the Namathite answered and said, Should a multitude of words go unanswered, and a man full of talk be judged right? Zophar calls Job's anguished cries, he calls them empty words. He says that Job's just a man who's full of talk. He asks if Job thinks that such a man, you know, a man such as he should be judged right. 
basically, he's kind of he's talking in general terms, but he's speaking about Job. And so next he's going to accuse Job of mocking God by the, by the way that Job is questioning. Verse 3 says, Should your babble silence men, and when you mock, shall no one shame you? According to Zophar, Job deserves to be shamed because what he's doing is mocking God. In his mind, asking the questions of God that Job has asked, it amounts to faithless mocking of God. And as far as the friends are concerned, there is no mystery at work. Uh, Job obviously has done something terrible, and he's being punished for it. You know, it's as simple as that. You get what you give. Uh, but by not admitting his sin and repenting, but instead questioning and droning on and on about how God seems distant and unfair, uh, they think that Job is grievously sinning against God, and he should be chastised for what he's doing. Uh, verse 4 explains why Zophar is uh, what he's thinking about Job. He, uh, he accuses Job of claiming to be perfect. He says, verse 4 says, For you say my doctrine is pure, and I am clean in God's eyes. He, he thinks Job cries for vindication and justice. Uh, he thinks that, that uh, Job cries to God for this uh, because he's perfect before God, or because Job thinks he's perfect before God. He, uh, he accuses Job of saying that he's clean in God's eyes and pure and everything. And this is something that we know that Job has never said or implied. He knows that he's not perfect. <clears throat> he knows <coughs> excuse me, that he is not clean before God in and of himself. His actions at the beginning of the book prove that. I mean, he sacrificed every single day for himself and his children. These, these sacrifices were what God commanded to atone for Job's sin or, or to cover Job's sin. Job never complained that God was punishing a completely pure and perfect man. He, he has always claimed that he has kept the words of God uh, involving sacrifice and faith. And, and nothing in Job's life changed. And all of a sudden, here comes God's wrath unleashed on him uh, in the most horrible way. Um, so... It's not that Job in and of himself knows that all my ways are perfect. It's that Job kept God's word and God's promise close to his heart that said, if you would come to me in repentance and faith and you would offer these sacrifices, uh, that I would cover your sin. And so Job is holding on to that and then all of a sudden, bang, here comes all this suffering. And of course, we know that it's not punishment, but Job and his friends don't know that. And so they're, they're trying to figure out why this punishment has come. Job is trying to figure out, you know, I haven't done anything different than I've always done. And all of a sudden, here comes all this grief. Uh, he never claimed to be sinless. But he did claim that he didn't know of any unrepentant sin that he held on to in his life. Like, like any other man, Job was a sinner. But he came to God each day in repentance and faith, bringing the shed blood of the required animals in obedience to God's commands. Uh, Zophar is putting words in Job's mouth. In, in this moment, Job is crying out in anguish, in the anguish of his soul, and uh, he he may not be doing so and saying everything in just the right way. We've seen that, and we'll continue to see that. But he's not just some heretic who has thought all this through and come to these conclusions and said, "Hey, this is the way God is." He's a man that's in pain who's giving voice to the suffering of his soul. And there's a huge difference. Uh, 
we all have, none of us have a perfect knowledge of God. When God reveals himself to us in scripture, we, if we deny it and say, this is, this is, I'm going to hold on to my thoughts of who God is and what God wants and, and all those things. That's completely different than being in the moment of suffering, in the moment of pain with everything inside of us, just writhing in agony and us, uh, saying something, uh, a little haphazard about God crying out to God in such a way. <clears throat> I don't think there's any of us who have not questioned God in some way when things in our lives happen. And of course, later on, when when the pain subsides and you know we get through it, we know that that God was working for a good purpose, and we know that it was wrong to 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 do such a thing. But just in the writhing of that soul, we we have to we have to make room for understanding that you know what sometimes the man's mind and the man's mouth you know are not tracking together perfectly. So Zophar's he's he's uh, accused Job of this, but he's also accusing Job of being ignorant of God and rejecting God's goodness. In verse five, it says, "But oh, that God would speak and open His lips to you." Zophar says, "Oh, I wish God would show up and talk to you after you've questioned Him this way." Verse six says, "And I wish He'd show up that He would tell you the secrets of wisdom, for He is manifold in understanding. Know then that God exacts of you." less than your guilt deserves. This is where he says, you know, you deserve even worse. Uh, Zophar says, I wish, I wish God would come speak to you. The implication is that if God were to speak to Job, he would tell Job a thing or two. He'd set him straight. Zophar believed God, believes God would come and just utterly rebuke Job for what he's you know, whining about. Job would be put in his place. And if God were to show up, and this trial, uh, you know, if God were to show up at this trial that Job wants to have, uh, notice that the last line of Zophar, uh, the last line of Zophar spoke in verse 6, he said, God exacts of you less guilt than you, than, than you deserve. He's saying, I know God took away all your money. I know he took away your business. I know he took away all your prosperity, your servants, and your cattle. I know he took away all your children. So that now you're childless. I know he took away your health. So now that you have you now you have boils all over your body, and now you sit here grieving more than any man has ever grieved. But in reality, God has been good to you because you deserve a whole lot worse. In Zophar's mind, Job's guilt has not fully been punished yet. Uh, he still owes some punishment. Now, now we got to look at something here. I mean, m- many of the things Zophar says are things we might say. To someone hurting, I know I've said them before, and I, I believe them. You know that that suffering in this life is not all we deserve. We deserve damnation, and it's only by Christ's sacrifice that He spared us from that. But uh, you know, of course, you, you probably wouldn't be as crass and as blunt as Zophar, but but there is some truth to what He says. Uh, we don't deserve anything from God. Just the fact that He blesses us. At all is a miracle. I mean, it's 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 not a wonder thinking about the fact that we deserve punishment. The wonder is that we don't receive punishment every moment of every day. You and I deserve far worse than anything uh, we've received from God in this life. Uh, even if we go through the toughest tragedies and suffering, the 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 fact remains that we deserve worse. We deserve an eternity in hell for our sin. 
so there is some truth to Zophar's words. But even though Zophar's speech has a ring of truth to it, we know that his statements don't apply to Job in this instance. And there's the rub. He is misrepresenting Job. He thinks Job is claiming to be perfect and sinless, and he's accusing Job of sins Job has not committed. In the beginning of the book, you know, Job was the picture of humility and devotion to God. God himself even said that he was blameless. Uh, So this is the reason we should be very careful counseling those who go through suffering, and even with our own thoughts as we go through suffering. There could be many reasons why we suffer, and and we should never presume that we know what a particular person is going through. We should... um we should also be careful in, in being certain of what God thinks about a particular situation. Uh, God has spoken conclusively in the scripture, and we have everything we need for life and godliness in them. Uh, but Zophar is entering into dangerous territory, telling Job what God thinks about him. He's, uh, he's straining, the, straining the, the boundaries of his knowledge. Uh, now, we're because we're readers of the book, we know that Zophar is not speaking the truth about God. Zophar is telling Job the exact opposite of what God thinks. Uh, God has already said he, you know, that Job is righteous. And Zophar is saying, you know, God thinks you're a sinner. So, Zophar is not started off too well so far. Uh, he begins his... He's beginning his speech uh, by accusing Job of sin and informing Job that, that you know, God is not pleased with him. So uh, next, Zophar is going to challenge Job. In verse 7 it says, uh, Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? Uh, It is higher than heaven. What can you do? It's deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Verse 9 says, Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. Zophar is emphatic with Job that he cannot know what God is doing in any way. He tells Job that the depths and limits of God are far beyond his understanding. The height and length of God is greater than the heavens and the earth. Uh, Job can't speak about God refusing to hear the complaints of a righteous man because Job is ignorant of God in his ways. That's what Zophar is saying. Uh, The implication here is that Job... You know, he shouldn't even be spouting off all these questions about his suffering to God and because God is just so much higher than him. He shouldn't be thinking that he has the right to give voice to his agony in the in the in the in the midst of all this trial. Uh, remember that these three friends believe that God only sends suffering to those who deserve it. So in their minds, Job wouldn't be going through all this if he hadn't done something to deserve it. So in their system, in their worldview, in their way of looking at life and and God, Job is the villain and God is the righteous punisher. Now, of course, we know that in reality, Job's not the villain. Job is a faithful follower. And it's Satan, the accuser, who is the villain behind all of this. And uh, it's God, ultimately, who is using all this suffering for Job's good to mold him and make him in, into who God wants him to be. But Zophar, uh, Zophar, he sees Job's complaints and the questions as if he is, as if Job is accusing God instead of just crying out for answers. Verse 10 says, if he passes, he's talking about God, he's telling Job, you know, if God passes through and imprisons and summons the court, who can turn him back? Uh, for he knows 
worthless men. He's calling Job a worthless man. When he sees iniquity, will he not consider it? He's saying, don't you think God, you know, punishes sin? Don't you think when he sees sinfulness that he's not going to punish it? Verse 12 said, but a stupid man will get understanding when a wild donkey's colt is born a man. Um, He's getting a little aggressive with Job, getting a little, getting a little name calling, getting a little uh, ad hominem attacks on on Job's character, calls him a stupid man. He says, "No one can turn God back if he decides to send suffering to a wicked man, and no wicked, sinful man could ever think that he's going to drag God to court. Uh, God's ways are beyond man's authority to dispute, and and of course we know that that's true. There's a ring of truth in what Zophar says. We know that God's ways are higher than our ways, and we we can't ever say that what God is doing in any situation is unfair because God uh, brings perfect justice. But notice the application that Zophar is making in this. He is applying his theology to Job, but he doesn't apply it to himself. <laughs> He says that when God passes by and brings men to court for their crimes, he knows their worthless deeds. He sees all their sin. Uh, So how could he not bring suffering to the man who has sinned before God? That's what Zophar's claim is. How could God not bring suffering to the man who has sinned? He's implying that Job is the sinful man and that he simply doesn't understand God. Uh, Job has rejected what both Eliphaz and Bildad have said. And Job has rejected the fact that God is punishing him for some secret, unrepentant sin. So in Zophar's mind, Job is rejecting the truth about God. But the implication is that Zophar does understand what he's talking about. Zophar is telling Job about God. uh, And he's telling Job that he's badly mistaken about God. And that he and his two friends actually are the ones who have knowledge of God. They are there trying to help Job. And if he would just shut up and take their advice, he would be helped. God knows who the worthless man is. That's what Zophar says in verse 11. So here is Zophar standing on his own two feet, blessed with good health and prosperity. And and here's Job. He's down in the dirt with absolutely nothing, had everything taken away. And Zophar is clearly implying that he and his two friends are better than Job in God's sight. Why? Because God surely rewards sin, all sin, with punishment in this life and suffering in and suffering in this life. Now, we know that that's a false claim. Job is going through punishment and suffering, and Zophar is not. So... That must mean that God looks down from heaven and sees Zophar as a righteous man and Job as a wicked sinner. Do you see how the the words that we use and the thoughts we think regarding God have far more implication, application than than, than just trying to get someone well as his friends and and being righteous before God uh, and to understand why they're suffering? Uh, By implication here, Zophar has set himself and his friends as being righteous. He isn't suffering with Job, uh, knowing that it could just as easily be him lying in the dirt as Job. Uh, In his mind, he's done too much good to suffer the same fate as Job. So, once again, we see that there is a sense in which some of what Zophar says is correct. God's ways are higher than our ways. 
No one can turn back God's justice or charge him with being unfair. But that doesn't mean that every single person who is going through suffering is under the wrathful judgment of God. Nor does it mean that every person who is not at this moment suffering some agony is righteous before God. There are plenty of examples of wicked men that are not going through suffering as we speak right this moment. Uh, Zophar's challenge to Job it turns out to be little more than a way to to prop up Zophar's own righteousness before God and to demean Job into thinking that he must be an especially wicked creature because of what he's going through. Um, Now that Zophar has challenged and accused Job in the most offensive way possible, he's going to attempt to, to instruct Job as to what he should do. And here again, we see Zophar offering some, he's offering some really bad advice. The problem with, with Zophar's instruction is that he's going to tell, tell Job that he, needs, uh, that he needs to repent. Um, he, he's going to tell Job that whatever the secret sin, whatever the secret sin is that he's hiding, uh, you need to come clean. And you know what? Then God will, uh, then God will restore all, all that He's taken from you. You know, so there are so many problems with this. It's, it's kind of hard to keep track of them all. So uh, you may have to go back and listen again because I, I know I've been kind of rambling through some of this. But first of all, Job has already told us that he doesn't know of any secret sin that he has kept from God. He has sacrificed and repented in all his life and, and so his sins are, are well known to God. But they're covered by the blood of the sacrifice. Second, <clears throat> even if there were such a sin, repenting of it may gain him the forgiveness of God, so his friends say, but it doesn't guarantee that Job will receive back all the things that he's lost. Uh, God's under no obligation to give Job his fortune or his children back. In fact, most of the time, we have to simply endure the consequences of our suffering, even if we know that our sin is forgiven and washed away. Oftentimes, even after a person is saved and their sins are are wiped clean, you'll have to endure the consequences uh, of choices and decisions that you've made. So God's not under obligation just to make everything a bed of roses. There are so many things wrong with what Zophar is saying. Um, it you know we may we may skip over one or two and we may have trouble following the argument, but we also have to see uh, kind of the the whole counsel of what Job is being offered here. Uh, the first thing he tells Job is that you need to repent. Verse thirteen says, "If you prepare your heart, you will stretch out your hands toward him. If iniquity is in your hand, put it far away, and let not injustice dwell in your tents." Zophar's advice to Job is this. Change, do better. Uh, can you imagine telling a suffering man this? Just do better, and God will make it all better. Uh, you cannot call on God unless you repent for this great sin you're hiding from us, Job. Uh, God doesn't punish the innocent, so we know you're lying, and we know you're hiding something. Uh, that's what Zophar's counsel is. This is how he's going to make Job's suffering better. Um, the second thing you have to do, Job, is you need to reform your life. You got to do better. Uh, you got to cast away the iniquity from your life, and you must get rid of all the sin that that uh, thinks it can dwell in your tents. 
God won't even hear your cry unless you do these things. This is what Zophar is telling Job. Now, we know that repentance is part of the gospel proclamation, so there is no salvation where there's no repentance. Uh, But we have specifically been told by God that Job is not in need of repentance in this case, in the cause of his suffering that has been brought down upon his head. What I mean by that is that, that Job has lived a life of repentance and sacrifice. He is hiding you know, no secret sin from God. And, and of course, those sacrifices, let me remind you, they point toward the true sacrifice, which is Christ. So Zophar's counsel implies that, that God will not hear, um, God won't hear Job's cry unless Job comes up with you know, some sin. For which he needs to repent. Now, if you're Job and you truly don't know of anything that you've kept back from God, this presents a problem. Job is he's confessed and repented already. He's offered sacrifices for his sin, and he trusts in the word of the Lord that the sacrifices, you know, which point to Christ's sacrifice, have have covered his sins and are forgiven. So, in Job's mind, Zophar is basically telling him there is no way you can be right with God. Uh, Job has done everything that he knows to do. He has done everything that God's commanded him to do, and he's still suffering. Uh, Zophar believes completely in what he's saying, and he thinks he's speaking for God to Job. But for Job, all Zophar is offering is hopelessness. He's telling Job, basically Zophar's counsel to Job is that God did not keep his word to you uh, when he said that those sacrifices would cover your sin. Because your, your sin remains, and that's why you're suffering. But Zophar is claiming that if Job would just admit what he's done, uh, God would fix all this. Verse 15 through 19 say, Surely then you will lift up your face without blemish. You will be secure and will not fear. You will forget your misery, and you will remember it as the waters that have passed away. And your life will be brighter than the noonday. Its darkness will be like morning, and and you will feel secure because there's hope. You will look around and take your rest in security. You will lie down, and none will make you afraid, and many men will court your favor. Now, that's what he says from verse 15 to uh, 19. I really want you to understand where Zophar is missing the mark here. Uh, We know that God does reward those who diligently seek Him. And we know that God does indeed give reward to those who work righteousness in the name of Christ. But um, look at the rewards that Zophar says Job will get if he would just admit his wickedness and repent. He will no longer suffer. That's what Zophar says. He will be so joyful he won't even remember his misery. And his life will become as bright as the sun. He'll rest in security. Uh, You know, that sounds like a good description of heaven. And those things, those are things that God has promised to those who trust in Christ. But Zophar is talking about this life. Can you imagine telling somebody, guess what, man? Come to Christ and have your sins forgiven and you won't suffer anymore in this life. Well, that, that goes against what Jesus himself said. He said, in this life, you will have suffering and you will have persecution. James tells us to rejoice in the trials because they bring forth patience. Uh, but he's saying that if Job would just admit his wrongdoing, God would restore all the things that he's lost. God would restore everything. He even says that God would return men's favor to Job. Uh, this is surely 
something that's just not true. Jesus said that men would hate you if you stand with him. Zophar is echoing the same thing we've heard from the, the older two friends, the other two friends. He He's offering Job a works-based system of righteousness with rewards in this life. He's telling Job that God will end his suffering and bring him back into the blessed state uh, that he was in before all this started if he would just admit to whatever secret sin has caused this. Uh, finally, Zophar <clears throat> tells Job the consequences of not admitting his wickedness. He says, verse 20, But the eyes of the wicked will fall, they will fail, and all the way of escape will be lost to them, and their hope is to breathe their last. The only Job, the only, the only hope Job can have if he continues down the path he's going is death. He has nothing else to look forward to. Notice carefully what Zophar is saying. He is saying that God will give you blessing and reward in this life if you would just repent of whatever caused all this. And if you don't, then the only thing you have to hope in is death. This sounds like, you know, it's a very spiritual counsel. It sounds like something you might hear a counselor or a friend say to someone who's going through suffering. But look at the dangerous nature of what it implies. Zophar isn't offering Job the joy and hope of being right with God. He's simply telling Job how to get back in God's good graces so he can enjoy the blessings of God. Now, we know that Job doesn't have any secret sin for which he needs to repent, and therefore he cannot in good conscience do what Zophar is asking him to do. But Zophar's counsel to Job is just simply to do it anyway so that he can get back under the blessing of God. This is where so many people are today. They want the blessing of God, but they care very little about being in right relationship with God. They don't find their joy and blessing in uh, simply knowing the God of the universe. They want all the good things of this life uh, that they think God will give them, you know, if they if they behave. Do you remember the, the charge that Satan brought against Job at the beginning of the book? Satan's claim to God was that Job didn't really love God. He just loved all the blessings that God had given him. You remember... Um, you remember that Satan said Job doesn't love you for no reason. He, he, you know, he said if if you take away all that you have given him, he'll curse you to his face. So here we have the test: if Job were to take Zophar's counsel and just repent of something that he know he hasn't done, just to get back in the favor of men and the blessedness of riches, then Satan was right. Job just wants to live happy and comfortable. Uh, the motivation for Zophar's form of repentance is the same motivation of Satan's accusation. If Job repents and confesses something he knows not true is not true for no other reason than just to gain the blessings that he's lost, then Satan has been proven right and God has been proven wrong. Job did love God <clears throat> only for the blessings that he gave and, and Job will do whatever it takes to regain those blessings. But of course, Job can't lie. He can't lie about his life. He, he can't simply go through the motions hoping that God will give all his blessings back to him. Job wants to know why God has forsaken him. Why has God gone back on his word? Or so Job thinks. 
you know, and of course we know that God hasn't forsaken, but, but Job's not just interested in getting all his blessings back. He wants his relationship with God back. He wants to enjoy the fellowship that he thinks that he's lost. In the end, Satan and Zophar are wrong about Job. Um, he's not going to just go through a ritual so he can get out of the pit of suffering that he finds himself in. He wants to bring his case before God because he wants God himself, not just the blessings that God can give him. 